This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I think I have a bit higher appetite for risk. Uh, not that I am trying to go get shot, but I also feel like, first of all, I, I have less of an appetite to get shot because I came from a very long way. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, I give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's up, guys? Today we have an awesome episode with David Kamara. David is based in Michigan and has built up an awesome real estate portfolio, starting with a corporate job that he used to leverage, which we talk about a little bit later in the show. But his background is in management consulting and IT. He still runs a management business that he just does on the side. He likes to do it and he's kept it up alongside his real estate business. But he did about 150 units in deals before he kind of left his corporate job and started pursuing it himself. And now he has stepped into the world of syndicating. He's done about 100 units beyond uh, what he already had established with his wife and himself. And what I like about that is in every deal that he syndicated, he puts about 100,000 of his own cash into, which a lot of syndicators, um, I don't think do that. And actually, no, they don't. But basically what that means is he's more invested in the deals. He's not doing it just for fees to make acquisition and management fees. He actually has money in the deal to ensure that he's interested in it and it's a good deal and that he thinks it'll do well and obviously get a return for himself. Um, so I just really like to see that. It's a good story. We had a lot of learnings and a lot of good tips from this message and this conversation, but the main one that I had, and I'm so into this message right now, as I think about it a lot more, is 
what to do while you still have a corporate job. And what he talked about in the show is he used that to keep buying property and to get comfortable enough where he was able to then pivot out of a job because he had enough rentals to support himself and then start growing a business and start his own management consultant business outside of that. So that message really hit me because it's just something I'm considering, but I know a lot of you guys are wondering, should I stay in my job? Should I go full-time real estate? Should I just not do either? Like what's up? So basically this is kind of a step-by-step -step of which option could be good for you. Today's tangible tip. This was a great one and it came from the episode. If you are not sure of an area and you're thinking about, is it safe? Is it an area that I think would be kind of a good investment? Is it going to maybe go up over time? What David mentioned is that almost anytime he buys a, buys a property, he goes to the firehouse and he speaks with the, the firefighters and talks to them about, do they think this is a bad neighborhood? Have they had issues there? And then maybe what he even does is go to the police precinct to get their opinion too. And I haven't heard it clearly said the way that David kind of explained it, but just such a great tip. If you're not sure on an area, talk to the people who have no interest in seeing you move there or not move there. Like your realtor is going to tell you, yes, this is probably good because they want to make a sale. Like the best ones won't do that, but most of them will because they just want to make money. But going to someone that's totally neutral that also knows the area is so smart. So I just love that. I wanted to call that out. Uh, if you're concerned about an area or you just want to get a better feel for it. But anyway, great episode today. Enjoy with David Kamara. All right, David, what is going on? I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, Jonathan? Thanks for having me on. Uh, you're doing some great stuff and I'm very excited to be here. Well, you have a great story. So we're going to have a lot to talk about today, especially because you came from an area that I think a lot of our listeners come from or still might be in today, which is kind of a corporate world, having a background in management consulting and still doing a little bit of that today, but also then branching out into real estate, building a very successful portfolio yourself and now helping other people invest with you or help get started. So I think there's a lot of topics and a lot of ground to cover. If you wouldn't mind from a high level, could you just give us a background on how you got into real estate and then also from a high level, what you do in real estate today? Sure. So High level, um, I graduated in the, I'd say early 2000s and with a degree in computer science, uh, went to work for a significant company in, in Chicago. So I moved to the big city of my wife. Um, our first exposure to real estate was buying a personal house, right? So we lived in the city for a year and then we said, hey, we need to, we need to buy something that we call our own. And that, that period there, just trying to understand how do you go about buying something? was eye-opening to us and especially you could you know put down not a lot of money control the big asset and that really got my wife and I very psyched and that's when we started really learning about the space uh, fast forward to today where we are is we own about 300 plus units um, I think it'll be like 370 by the time this month is over um, and I still have my management consulting business because people keep on calling us to do different things, but um, don't really focus on advertising that. Our focus is the real estate side. We started with, like I said, single family and then some multifamily, du some, some duplexes and, and threeplexes, bought probably about 10 houses or so, uh, accumulated about 10 units. And then life happened, kind of got derailed. My wife and I did grad degrees and, um, it was many years later that my daughter said, hey, are you traveling this week? Which caused me and my wife both to kind of take a, a pause and say, yeah, why is that? So let's, let's try and find a way to 
scale this business up because we know it works. And that's when we jumped into multifamily. So that's kind of a roundabout answer, but hopefully it Okay, it. awesome. And, and where are you at with the business today as far as units, cash flow, kind of what does the business look like from a snapshot? Yeah, so uh, number of units, we're about 300 units now. We will be, we're closing a big deal end of this month. So it'll be about 367, I believe, when we're done with that one. Um, we, my wife and I own about 180 of those units ourselves. And then we have essentially the remainder would be with investors. Um, cash flow, we're, we're basically cash flow positive, not cash flow positive, where our cash flow is covering our expenses. So, I mean, at this point, we don't have to necessarily do another deal or have to go work ever per se. So I guess financial freedom, if that's what people are calling it, mm -hmm. we're there and we're very excited about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. I want to go back to management consulting for a minute before we talk about your real estate stuff. What exactly, how do you define what management consulting is or, or for someone that's never heard of it, how, how could you sum it up kind of in a blurb of, of what you do with companies you work with? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I had to learn about that myself and never, like you go to college, you never really think of like, what is that? Or you don't even hear about it. Um, again, like I said, my, my undergrad was computer science, uh, ended up getting a master's in liberal arts and a, an MBA along the way, but management consulting is, uh, consulting to management. So the, the role is big business, uh, like companies that you work at, for example, right? they have problems to solve for which they don't necessarily have dedicated teams in-house. So they go out and bring in smart people from the outside, companies like BCG, Bain, McKinsey, Ernst & Young, Pricewaterhouse, all these big names that you hear about. They have teams of people that are dedicated to a specific niche industry issue. And that could be, how do I grow sales? Or how do I make my, my salespeople more effective? How do we streamline those processes? Uh, they bring those teams in for things like mergers and acquisitions when they want to grow organically. Um, how, like, you know, there's not an internal set of people that don't have day jobs within the company to focus on this specific issue. So essentially, it's a way for companies to supplement um, skills with a lot of experience because that mostly those teams do those same things day in, day out, bring them in and kind of also have them take the fall if things don't work out very well. And even a little bit more like, specifically what what are some of the things that you'll help a company with like let's say let's say you came in to help or a management consultant and i guess the reason i want to ask this is because even in real estate i'm sure people might need help or consulting in their business or they their baby might have you know some issues so like let's say you were coming in and i ran a 15 person real estate wholesaling and flipping company or i don't know if this is even something you would do but let's say we were growing and we're running into a lot of problems and, you know, some months we're, we're doing great and some months we're doing horrible. Like what would a consultant come in and start with doing? And again, I know this is more about real estate. We're going to get to that in a sec, but I'm just curious because I think it, it, people might need help in some ways. And there's a lot of different words for getting help, consulting, coaching, you know, like, like bringing people in whatever it is, but I'm just curious, like what are your first couple steps when you come in to assess a business and then start giving kind of either feedback or tactics or advice or, or what you do when, when you understand the business? Yeah. So, so it's a good point, right? So it's a management consulting is a very generic term. You could apply that to almost any part of your business or any, any consulting. Um, but the idea is you are 
you are an expert in some capacity or some field uh, of the business that you're helping and you're advising the management team on how best to execute whatever their goals are. Um, so for example, in our management consulting business today, we focus on a couple of things. We, we have an IT or CIO advisory capacity, and then we have a business process optimization capacity. Mm-hmm. So under the CIO advisory slash IT advisory side, one of the things we do is we work with private equity buyers of businesses. And when they are looking to buy a business, um, we come in and essentially give them like that house appraisal, right? We, we tell them that we look at the business and assess what's going on with the IT function. Um, do they have cloud, cloud capabilities? Are they able to have people work remotely from home? And if they don't, we essentially give them a CapEx and OpEx uh, prognosis of what they should be spending or what, what, how much would they need to spend to get to a particular level of performance and then a bit of a mini roadmap to get there, for example. Mm-hmm. On the business process optimization side, one of the things we do is, again, depending on if it's a process we have expertise in, uh, we, we, t- we tend to stay very functional. So things like HR, um, IT finance, right? How are those set up? Um, how do you set those up optimally so that as the organization grows and scales, you don't have these growing pains that a lot of people have, right? And so we'll come in and look at, okay, what are you doing? What are the checks and balances you have in your process? What tools are you using? And what is your business specifically? How do we tailor those processes to meet your business growth goals and optimize them for that? So it's a lot of, a lot of what the work entails is speaking to the people that you have in-house, understanding your business, understanding what problems you have, and then looking at how, how do you not necessarily create a process that is the simple, not a, so you want to create a process which helps your business and it may not be the process with the fewest amount of steps, but it has to be the process that is the simplest for your people to understand and execute well every time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. And this is, I promise the last question before we talk real estate stuff. Are there any people within that space, books, content creators that, that you've found to be helpful in learning how to be more productive or you've seen, like, I'm, I'm a big productivity nerd. Like, so I'm rereading, um, the effective executive for our work week. The one thing I love tools. I'm constantly tinkering with different, you know, automation softwares and things like that. Um, any, any recommendations or people that you've counted on or learned from through the years that has helped you kind of be more productive in your own life and also in these other companies' lives? Um, I, I like a lot of the books you mentioned. Um, I, I like the one thing I like for our work week a lot. Um, one book, which I, which I don't hear being mentioned typically in at least real estate circles and the usual circles is there's a book called The Goal. It's, it's a much more um, manufacturing outlook type book, but it talks about constraints and bottlenecks and how do you first understand where your constraints and bottlenecks are in a process or in, a, in an organization, and then how do you move those, right? How do you streamline your constraints, reduce them, and essentially go, your constraint will move to the next thing that you need to fix. Mm-hmm. That's a really good book. It's called The Goal. Uh, it's been around for a long time. A lot of manufacturing guys know that book pretty well, but it's 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 written in a very accessible way. It's a, it's a cool book, so I'd recommend that. Otherwise, unfortunately, I would say there is no bullet that I've seen. I mean, the issue is that everyone's challenges are slightly unique, right? And so 
things that may apply in one paradigm may not necessarily do so well in another. Mm. Um, so yeah, you almost always have to still be a student. And I, I like the fact that you like different tools. And I think you've mentioned this on several of your, your posts that you're always experimenting with new tools and you, you go out of your way and you pay a coach to teach you those tools to make them work well. Mm -hmm. I think the attitude and that outlook, I think, is the more important piece. And as long as people can be continuous learners, I think people will be successful. Yeah, totally agree. It's just, it's that growth mindset versus fixed mindset. I will say for anyone out there that's tinkering, or I don't know if you've ever checked it out, David, we are obsessed with Notion and we're using it for pretty much everything in our business. It is one of, if not the coolest tool I have ever come across. And it has consolidated probably five tools in our business. So um, I'm using it right now for note-taking, but we also use it for scheduling content. We use it for task management, project management, just communicating. It's got a chat feature. It's incredible. So anyway, I just had to say that because I just really do nerd out on those deals. All right, David, let's, let's get into real estate. So how did you buy your first deal? I know this is probably a long time ago and, and at this point you're doing stuff that's very different, but as you know, we kind of have a beginner audience. So how did you buy your first deal, your first couple deals? How did you find them? How did you finance them? What was your kind of goal and, and hope with these deals money-wise? If you could just kind of talk through some of the, the detail of them. Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, when, when my wife and I first bought our, our house in, in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, we bought this bungalow, two bedroom, two bathroom. I mean, your standard, like one floor is probably 900 square feet and a 900 square feet basement. Uh, with a backyard picket fence uh, that was like wow cool we've arrived we, we bought a place uh, we were 24 25 somewhere there but that whole process just opened our eyes to wait you can buy something with five percent down like that is pretty impressive right if you're going to live in it so very quickly i was looking to see what else could i buy right so i went to a number of uh, seminars real estate seminars Chicago had a ton of the time, um, saw a bunch of interesting speakers. I think I saw Tim Robbins speak and a few other folks. But then I started looking at neighborhoods and just looking at realtor. Like I was just looking at where, where can I afford to buy something? We didn't have any money. My wife and I literally had just graduated and both were working, but it's not like we had a ton of cash in the bank. So we're looking for what can we get into with not too much money down and hopefully cash flows. So I, I stumbled on... Um, a neighborhood in Northwest Indiana, which was cash flowing and pricing was pretty inexpensive. And so our first deal was we bought a duplex and a threeplex on the same day. Um, I think the, the total purchase price at the time was something like 60K maybe. Mm -hmm. So again, I forget whether it was 10% down or probably it was about 10% down. So we had to come up with 6,000, right? Um, and that was just, again, scraping money together Again, $6,000 wasn't a ton of money, but it was for us. And the bigger thing for us was what happens if this doesn't work, right? So we were looking for how do we get into something where if it doesn't work, we don't lose our shirt. So that kind of checked the box and it was, okay, we're buying five units, a duplex and a threeplex, which were all occupied, right? So that was the big thing. So we looked at a bunch of different property, but what, what made us more comfortable was here's a property that's occupied here are the rents, we know what those are. And, and the key was the rents were relatively high, right? For, I mean, if you're thinking about buying a property for about $30,000 for two doors, I mean, these were not in the best neighborhoods, let's face it, but the rents were like 500 bucks a door. So the rents were easily covering our mortgage. 
And that's where it was like, this is a no brainer. Sure, we're risking the down payment, but if it doesn't work out, we can walk away from $6,000 and wouldn't be a big thing. We, we, we both essentially, my wife and I said, this is gonna be our tuition if it doesn't work out and we'll learn from it. So it actually worked out. I mean, those, those units, uh, those buildings ended up working out. We, you always learn, right? So you have your first set of tenants, you have to manage them. Of course, I'm managing them myself. Um, I'm driving over there sometimes after hours to fix things or work with contractors that can fix things that I know how to fix. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of fun, right? It was very um, liberating to say, wow, I, we own five units and they're cash flowing, right? Like from the get-go. Um, I think that first year I had an argument with one of the tenants because they felt like they couldn't pay rent or didn't want to pay rent. So you, one thing to learn is wherever you're buying, you want to understand what are the processes to essentially get problematic people out the door. And in some states, they're easier or better or more favorable than others. Um, but at the end of the day, everything worked out. So the next year, we were looking at houses closer to where we lived, so a bit more expensive. Um, and we found a house probably, I mean, less than a mile from where we lived. Uh, we lived in Forest Park at the time, which is a suburb of Chicago. And this house was really nice. We, we booked an appointment, went, saw it, really had all the intentions of buying it. We hadn't made an offer yet, but then I drove by it the next week and there was a massive sign outside of it saying it's in an auction. So I was surprised. And, and I think the bid, the starting bid started at like $90,000 or something. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay $90,000 for this property. I mean, it's a decent property. I've been inside of it, right? Most of the people in an auction probably don't get the opportunity to go and see the inside of the building. So I show up in this massive um, auction hall um, in Rosemont, the convention centers in Chicago. And it was just like one of the straight out of the movie scenes. Do I have a, this? It was like, these guys talk really fast and if you don't like brace yourself, you can get carried away on the waves of these biddings. Um, I ended up winning the auction. I think it was 130 or so thousand, 120 something thousand. Um, and it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I, I actually just bought this. Uh, you know, so you try to set yourself a budget and it's very easy to exceed that because things are moving so quickly, you're, you're caught up in the moment, but still end up being a really good deal. So we bought that, that single family house literally for that one, my down payment was from a credit card. I think it was uh, like a cash advance, five grand down. Mm -hmm. that, that was my down payment, literally. And um, the property appraised, so, so it, was, it was a very good deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the rents were something like, I think, $1,300 at the time mm -hmm. for a single family house. So that was kind of the start. Okay. So a couple real quick questions. Answer them as, as you know, long or short as you, you can. Um, how are you finding those deals? And is it a repeatable way to find deals today? Other than not the auction, the ones before that, it sounded like you just either found MLS or MLS. Wholesale. Okay. Wholesale. MLS. I didn't have any, I wasn't talking to wholesalers. I wasn't really working with any one exclusive agent. It was just MLS and go search listings and okay. some criteria. How were you understanding the location? I'm sure, And I'm going to ask you how you do it today also, but at the time, you said they, they weren't the worst areas, but maybe it wasn't an area that you'd probably jump to live in yourself. But how did you feel comfortable enough to buy in that area? That's a very common question we get is, 
yeah, this thing looks like it can cash flow, but I'm going to get shot or I'm not comfortable going there. But does that matter to you? Like what was it safety? Was it schools? What did you need to know about those areas to feel comfortable buying in them and feeling like you could make money? Yeah, no, that's, that's a key question. And I mean, I will be very upfront. I think, I mean, the first, the, where we got the duplexes, that was an area where my wife was not very happy that I was buying it. So I was like, listen, I, I'm certainly not looking forward to you going to that area. Like, I don't know. I personally, my experience, I guess, is when I was in college, I worked at a gas station on the east side of Detroit, which was the hood with bulletproof glass and we had a shotgun in the back. So I, I kind of, and first of all, I didn't grow up in the United States, right? So I grew up in, in Ukraine and, and Sierra Leone, West Africa. So I, I think I have a bit higher appetite for risk. Uh, not that I am trying to go get shot, but I also feel like, first of all, I, I have less of an appetite to get shot because I came from a very long way and I, I definitely don't want to get shot over something that's trivial or not important. But working at the gas station in Detroit, I think, gave me a lot of um, a lot of insight into people and just understanding that people are people and if you treat them well, it doesn't matter if you're in the hood or wherever, as long as you're not smart mouthing people for the wrong reason, you treat them with respect, people treat you with respect back. So I felt mm. I felt okay with it. And I wasn't certainly showing up there at midnight to see if there's a drug deal going down somewhere. Um, so yeah, you have to be smart about it. Mm -hmm. um, but so it wasn't the worst area, but it wasn't the, better, the best area by any means. I just felt comfortable that if we provided housing for these folks and if they indeed had legitimate concerns with, hey, we need this fixed and we fixed it, that they would take care of it, which ended up being the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> the last thing you mentioned, you bought a property or maybe some properties at auction. Um, can you just walk through what that process actually looks like? Like, I think there's a lot of confusion around you just show up to an auction. It's the first time you've ever heard of this address or heard of this property and you're just buying something blind and now it's yours. And it's like, almost like storage wars, but for houses. Can you just demystify that a little bit? Um, and then I'll ask the same question at the end is if you think it's still something that could work today, but if you could just explain kind of like how it works and then we'll talk maybe about if it still works today. Yeah, so I certainly was not the most experienced auction person. And so that, that was the first property I ever bought at an auction. I had gone to one other auction before that just to check it out because there was a nice house that we were potentially thinking of moving to ended up going for way higher than we could afford. Um, but yeah, so mostly when there's an auction that typically is a period of time when you have some uh, time as well as resources and access to either the physical property or the documents surrounding the property, right? So, so just to jump in for one sec. So they release a list of, let's say, delinquent homes, foreclosed homes or pre-foreclosed homes. And then you have a time to drive around it or maybe walk around it. And then there's an auction day. Is that how uh, you understand it? Okay. Got it. Right. And in this case, it was a physical auction that you show up to um, and they, they have whatever you show up and there's a list of the properties that are in auction. They are all typically numbered and they tell you, okay, now we're going on this, this number and it's a live auction. Today, there's a lot of online auctions that you can participate in, which are similar, but online. I think the key is if you really don't know anything about a place, I would say stay away. Um, back to your earlier question about how do you get confidence in an area or in a, in a place you, you before you buy. My 
my at my approach to that is I drive the neighborhood. I look at I, I'll often buy the newspaper in the local area to see what's going on. Um, I would uh, a very good tip actually is go talk to the fire department in that area, right? Because those guys are the guys that get called for for bad things happening, right? So they'll be called for fires or um, those kinds of responding events. So ask to, just. I mean, you know, fire guys, they sit around, they typically have time to talk, show up and say, hey, I'm looking at this address or this block. Is this a bad bad area, good area? What are your guys' thoughts? So I, I, I do that. Um, and then just really drive around, drive around maybe in the morning, in the afternoon, if you can just show up and look at the place. That Those are my, those are my tips. Yeah, in terms of the auction though, you definitely, if you're going to one, make sure you have a limit that you will not exceed. Otherwise you, you absolutely will exceed it. I love that tip. I've never heard that tip. And I don't know how many episodes we've had of asking the fire uh, fighters what they think of the property. So that's just a great tip. I mean, driving around. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you may or may not know, but police, firefighters, like uh, people that work in that area, they, they know, I mean, we've, you know, just knocked like we're in Starbucks or we're in a coffee shop. I was like, hey, you know, what do you think of this neighborhood? But that's much better. That that's an awesome tip. I hope people listening note that one because if you're not sure of an area, why not go to the people that know the area and they have nothing. That's another thing I find constantly. It's hard to get neutral advice in real estate. It, you obviously yeah. can ask your realtor or a property manager, but in most cases, like they want a property manager, not so much. But the realtor, of course, it's like that Warren Buffett quote: "Never ask an insurance salesman if you need insurance." Like you're gonna get the answer that they want to give you. Property manager, not so much. I feel like they can give you a straighter answer, but these people, the straightest answer, they have nothing to gain or nothing to lose other than just a conversation. So um, that's that's a really good tip. Okay, so I guess just, and you may not know this because you've moved on to bigger projects, but I'm curious, do you, do you think auctions could still work today or do you know anyone that's still buying auction? I don't know a lot of people that do that now, especially with COVID, but curious just maybe if, if you do or, or just had any comment on that. I think you have to be opportunistic. If you're looking at a, like, I mean, in this particular case, I wasn't, I wasn't first looking for where are the auctions. I was looking for this property and I thought it was a good deal. And for whatever reason, I ended up in the auction. So I get, I went there. So I think if you have some inside scoop and you feel like you have better information than the next guy, sure, you could go look at an auction if something that you're interested in is, is there. But yeah, as a rule, I haven't bought a ton of, I mean, that, that's the only property I bought an auction. Um, so my advice on that is limited. Got it. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's talk about your first multifamily deal or first, I guess, sizable multifamily deal, um, you know, beyond a four unit or under. Um, what was your first larger multifamily deal and, and how did it kind of come together? Yeah, so it came together, like I alluded to earlier, um, my, my oldest, so I was at this point, I had worked for a bunch of bigger management consulting firms and then I left and started my own and things were going really well and uh, the money was very good. We took a bunch of the, the cash and renovated our house in a massive way. We had a whole bunch of stuff. And then my daughter was we were having a casual conversation Sunday night and she's like, hey dad, are you going to work on Monday? And that meant, are you traveling for three, four days and am I not gonna see you? And so that was a bit of a gut punch. My wife and I talked about it and said, life kind of happened. We had kids, we finished our grad degrees and we were kind of wrapped up in our different careers. But this real estate thing that we started a while ago is working and we just haven't scaled it up. So what do we need to do to do that? So that's when we said we should really 
try and do multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, and our first deal was a 40 unit townhome uh, community, a $2 million deal. It was about a hundred miles from where we live in Michigan. Um, and we literally took out a home equity line from our house and put that as a down payment for it. Um, what made me very comfortable with the deal is there was another complex about a half mile up the street, which was laid out very, very similarly. The, the building size and the unit sizes were pretty much the same. And um, they were charging about $100 more in rents, mm. right? So I went to that one, like almost as a apl- applicant to live there, had them give me the whole tour, had have them give me the pricing, and they said they had a wait list. And I'm looking at this thing half a, half a mile down the street, which didn't have a wait list, it was managed by a mom and pop older gentleman. He was also a realtor. Um, he had bought, so there were 10 buildings, four units each, which was a community of 40 townhouses. And they were really nice in that they were very spacious. They were like 1400 square feet with basements, with fenced in backyards. And there were not a lot of properties like that in that area. There were a lot of like one bedroom, two bedrooms, but there weren't a lot of large, larger units. So larger units meant you could rent them for more. Um, it meant to me slightly more responsible tenants with families that don't want to move in and out every every year, so to speak. And again, the thing that gave me a lot of comfort was the fact that this other place right next charging significantly higher rents. So we did it. Um, I also I also relied quite a bit, I would say, on property management. So again, once you get to bigger properties, you want to not do the work yourself and you want to at least for me i was looking to to self-manage that so i interviewed a number of property managers and actually had them show up when we were walking through the property so for for larger properties i walked through all units whether it's 40 or 130 walked through all the units and so i said guys why don't you show up and walk through these units with us and they all showed up at different times took us like four hours to walk through everything um and so they were able to give us give me insight on what they thought. And based on those interviews, I was able to pick what property managers wanted to work with. Um, but yeah, it was definitely uh, a bit of a different type of a deal, right? It was a lot more money. Um, and what, it's- What were the numbers, if you don't mind sharing? You know, How much was the purchase price? How much did you need to put down? Was there a rehab budget? That sort of stuff. Sure. Yeah, it was a $2 million purchase price. Um, it was 25% down, so essentially half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a, re- a rehab budget. I mean, we walked through the units and they were all fine. But yeah, I think the, the rough rehab budget was about $50,000 kind of in a, in a bank account sitting if we needed to use it. Um, but also, the thought behind that, too, was we could always just take the money, the cash flow from the property and put it back into the building, which is really what we ended up doing. Um, for most of it. So we didn't need that to cash flow on day one. It was cash flow on day one, but most of the cash flow we put back into the property to renovate, upgrade units and such. And frankly, I mean, when you're buying something that's managed by mom and pop, sometimes that period where you need to kind of feed the baby could be a year plus, right? So you want to definitely not just start taking cash out of it, deplete it and kind of run it to the ground. So that took about a year to get the property to where we wanted it, kind of take out the folks that weren't with the new regime and weren't necessarily the best tenants. And some of them kind of got it and left because you, you manage a new property with more rigor and you expect things from tenants. Some people just don't like it and take off, which is what you want. You want to have better tenants in your, in your building. But mm-hmm. no, that, that's been a great project. 
uh, for us. And I mean, I don't think we'll ever sell that since why would you, right? Right. Yeah. That is fixed and rent goes up over time. So it makes a lot of sense. Just keep up the cash flow. And one thing I just want to call out, because I didn't understand this when I was hearing about these like value ideals in multifamily is in most cases, the units get fixed up or turned, as they say, as people move out, and then you can raise rents, especially during COVID. It's not like you can get someone out if they're bad, potentially now anyway, but that was just, so it sounds like you did that. And then, you know, we're able to raise rents or just improve efficiency, you know, increase NOI so that it would be worth more. So I guess just before we kind of move off that deal and talk more about what you're doing today, um, is there, what were, what were some of your major learnings or things you wish you could have told yourself on that first large multifamily deal? Because I'd say we have an audience that's split into two buckets, either people that are trying to do their first deal or people that are maybe 10 deals in or 10 units in, they're ready to do their first big for them or for, you know, for me too, a bigger multifamily deal that's not syndicated, you know, so maybe they're looking to take down 20, 50 units on their own and they're going to just run it and operate it. So any major learnings or best practices or things you would have told yourself kind of going back to either day one of starting that deal or right before you were able to do that deal? I think the biggest, the biggest advice that I tell anyone, and especially anyone younger than me, frankly, is start soon and start now, because what I've learned is with time, everything in real estate gets better. Um, so that's, that's number one, literally, because that deal, like I said, when we bought it, it took us probably about 11 months before we started taking money out of it, but it's, it's so much better now, right? It's been several, whatever, four or five years. And it's, it's such so much a better cash flowing deal that again, your debt is fixed. Interest rates are now lower than when we bought that. So essentially you refi that out and your payments now lower, your cash flow is now greater. Um, over time, it just gets better specifically for that deal. I think we did everything well. Um, we, I would say plan for maybe a bit of a rehab budget that's maybe higher than what we had. Um, because again, you, things, end up, things end up costing a bit more. You just mm -hmm. want to have a buffer, right? You don't wanna buy something, put your last dollar into it and then say, well, I'm relying on this working out month one and starting taking cash out. That would be the biggest advice. So don't jump into something that's you're betting your last dollar and you need that back out immediately. Have some buffer, but beyond that, just, just go out and buy something. Go out and buy something and progressively buy larger deals. That's my biggest advice. I haven't asked this question in a while, but I think I'm going to start bringing it back just, just because I feel like we're, we're highlighting a lot of the highs a lot of times. So maybe if there was any low point or learning from a low point, do you have any, any in your entire real estate journey, like one moment or time that you look back as kind of your low point in real estate or your biggest frustration, your biggest challenge in real estate? Um, could be a deal. It could have been a specific thing and sure. then how you overcame it. Yeah. I'll point it to very quickly. Um, when we didn't have a lot of units, so that, that house we bought an auction, the first tenant ended up being great. And I think they were there for two years and that was, I mean, no issue. Check shows up in the mail. Everything was good. The tenant after that, um, though we screened well, but that was kind of at the height of the great recession. I think it was like 2010 ish. Mm -hmm. They ended up not being able to pay. And, Again, when you don't have a lot of units, right, and you're kind of relying on that property paying for itself, and it doesn't, that becomes painful. So we, I mean, I ended up, they, they ended up leaving, but it took about two or three months for them to get out. And during that time, you're paying the mortgage. I think a lot of people get to those kinds of moments, right? And they say, you know what, this is not worth it. It's too difficult. It's too stressful. 
I'm selling this property and I'm done with this, I would really caution people against that, right? That was, again, for us, we never intended to sell it. But again, if it's a tough economic situation and people aren't paying your mortgage and now you're stuck with two mortgages, that can be hard. I would say today there's a lot more, I guess, creative things you can do with, you know, short-term rentals and Airbnb and that kind of stuff, which can help. And um, I think people absolutely should do that. I think there's a lot more options, but don't stop right there when you're close to seeing the light at the other side and seeing how this, I mean, if you, if you, this is why we actually jumped into multifamily, right? You're diversifying across, across so many more tenants. And that's kind of the beauty of this one house by itself doesn't define how real estate works, right? So if you have a bad experience, I'd say, don't stop. My real, my second example was, um, in one of our multifamily deals, we had a fire um, in one of the properties. So we had, uh, I think it was 10 buildings and one of them caught fire and it was a total loss. Everyone was safe and nobody got hurt, but a lot of property was lost and it was unexpected. Um, insurance came through and we had really good insurance and net net, it was a great learning experience. So make sure you pay attention to insurance policies. Those do matter. I think a lot of people see those as an afterthought sure yes i just want the cheapest insurance you want to pay attention to that because it is important really good um david i haven't even i haven't asked this question a little while there but i just want to bring some of these back what's what's your biggest challenge in business today and i asked that in a, in a way that if someone could maybe bring you some value and reach out by trying to help with a challenge uh, it'd be a way that someone could do that so just curious if there's anything top of mind that you're either looking to grow or challenged with or stuck on right now, um, kind of 2021 in, in your life or business? Um, finding good deals that are not overpriced. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, David, appreciate you coming on, man. What is the best way for people to get in touch or, um, check you out on social media, all that stuff? Um, so the best way to find us is on our website. Our website is Cape Sierra Capital. It's C-A-P-E-S-I-E-R-R-A-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Um, and while you're there, um, we have a ebook is the personal cash flow formula and it's at Cape Sierra Capital slash cash flow. Okay, cool. All right, David. Well, appreciate you jumping on, man. It's been fun and uh, it's going to be fun to watch the rest of this year and, and I'm sure for many years after that. So uh, best of luck and thank you again for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it tremendously. Keep doing what you're doing. I think uh, the next generation here can do so much more in real estate because the tech is the tech is helping with doing things that I couldn't do when I was in your space. So I'm super excited about some of the things that you're educating your audience about. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on -on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 